So one day I sat in a classroom and I looked out the window. I had a big stack of papers and some children's books in front of me. And I noticed the teacher across the way had an even bigger stack in front of her grading papers. And right in the middle of going through another stack, she paused, put her book down, looked up, and acknowledged that I was looking up. Because sometimes you go through a day while teaching and you just have to reflect, what's your next step? What are you going to apply for your next lesson in terms of method? Are you going to be more sensible? Or are you going to try to fuse the culture in which you inhabit combined with your own Western sensibilities? Welcome to Hong Kong EZL. Scene one, Apple, take one. You're listening to Hong King. Scene one, Apple, take two. Welcome to Hong Kong ESL. Bringing psychology to the classroom is not as clinical as it sounds. Now, there are kids every day that thrive on attention. And to this day, I still thrive on attention. I, I love it when I get away from someone that I don't know or a polite gesture that indicates to me that that person acknowledges the right of way or giving me the right of way. And when I think about how children's mind functions, they're simply trying to put effort out there to get attention, but they don't know how to make it subtle. They don't know which way is best to indicate the most proper age-appropriate way to get attention from their peers. So what we have to do is not play sort of a mediator, but in the classroom, we have to draw attention to it in a way that illustrates a point to the others. And I don't mean this where someone is necessarily just being bad or someone is being particularly testy that day. But when a student hits a certain age where they start to acknowledge that their actions reflect their own behavior and that with that behavior comes sometimes severe consequences, then they take a step back sometimes. So what I want to do is point out just a few things that has helped me. And I'm going to make this a relatively short one because there are so many tidbits and I can spread this over multiple episodes. But what I want to do is highlight what are important to me and what have been effective in the classroom, but also as a father. So I was sitting there one day after a class and in Hong Kong, you'll get anxious parents outside of the classroom. They want to know a summary. And every day, they want to know if their child excelled, whether it's the first lesson or if it's 20 lessons in, they still want that report. And I found this endearing at first, but after a few weeks, I found it to be somewhat irritating. But I learned quite quickly that the reason for this is simply to get an update on their child and to see how the improvement is week to week. The more I thought about it later, and mind you, not till much later, the more it made sense to me because these are their formative years. They're not going to learn a whole lot within a week between lessons. 
from lesson to lesson. But they're going to observe a lot. They're going to have some sort of learning experience, whether it's inside the classroom or out or at home with the family, with their peers, with grandma and grandpa, or simply at the playground that to them illustrates something. And I'll give you an example how when an employer reflects on the body of work of someone, let's say it's over a two-year period and it's time for that evaluation, what they want to see is growth. A good employer will want to see growth during that period from the day they started the job until that point they're giving the evaluation and they're writing in the comments what has been the growth. So this doesn't necessarily apply to children. Now, can every good employer apply the same appreciation or even a sympathetic demeanor when it comes to employees that have room for growth, but not necessarily are achieving it from week to week. And with children in their formative years, it could be from day to day where there's something that triggers in their mind how important it is not to repeat that offense again, no matter how minor it is. And of course, the more severe the consequences, the more their mind tells them not to make that same mistake again, whether it's at home or in the classroom. Now, we, we as teachers have to seriously look at how children's minds are. And I don't mean this to say that we have to psychoanalyze each kid in the classroom. Now, in learning centers in Hong Kong, usually you get no more than 10 students per class. Generally, it's about six max. And when that class is filled, believe it or not, it is quite a handful but in a good way, because you have kids asking questions. They are so brimming. They're brimming with curiosity about you as the teacher, but they're also very observant of what you're going to do and what you have done. This has been a powerful tool for me in the classroom because I've seen kids yearn for this certain attention without really trying to work their way in through it, to make it appear as if, they are like the superstar, or they're taking the spotlight. It's nothing like that. But what I've learned to do relatively early in my teaching experience out in Hong Kong is to keep a watchful eye, but not to be too analytical. But at the same time, be kind of on autopilot. By that, I mean that you're observing without analyzing. And let me give you an example. If you're to analyze a child and you probably have a bit more room for it in Hong Kong, because let's say you're in a learning center, not in a class where the standard is probably anywhere from 25 to 35 students at a school, but at a learning center for supplemental learning enhancement, for phonics, for reading comprehension, or for mathematics, you have about six, and it's a bit easier to manage. Or what you want to do is you want to kind of push that bar a little bit higher with your own mindset your own teacher's outlook. Put on that professional mindset, that teacher's hat, I like to say, that is in semi-autopilot because you want to see how the behaviors are, how they mesh, if there's a varying degree of personalities and attributes, and you have the withdrawn, the quiet, you have the meek, you have the completely silent, at least most likely in the beginning. Most students are like that but some can remain that way for weeks and weeks. And you have the naughty and you have the ones that are simply trying to 
get themselves in that spotlight, to get your attention. And of course, back in high school, we called this a class clown. But we don't have the tools to be able to manage multiple personalities when there's personalities bouncing off each other. We don't have those tools to be able to manage so many varying personalities unless we come into the classroom with a mindset that illustrates to the kids that we not only have patience, but that we can simply be understanding of how they're behaving and why they're doing so. So when I mentioned autopilot, I meant, well, keep an automatic focus. Don't draw too much attention to one. And you can do it in a way that's subtle. You want the kids to see that you're deflecting. So if someone's completely turning the topic around, and mind you, I'm speaking about kids under 10. When they want to do that, that's completely fine, even if it's completely off topic, because they are at least exercising their confidence to speak up. And now when they see an audience with their peers and the teacher, a foreigner, who in most cases, hopefully, is understanding of why that student is asking a question that's completely off topic. But that's their chance. That's their 15 seconds of fame, where they can say that they made someone laugh, including the teacher. And that gives them the confidence because teachers are not the only ones that are going to be responsible in issuing that enormous amount or that boost of confidence. Their peers have to be the ones, whether it's through acknowledgement, a smile, or a simple gesture that suggests to that student who raised their hand or turned the topic off completely around in the first place, that that person is the one who has the confidence and is at least building it for the others as well. So here's what I want to do. I want to summarize in a few points. Now, I mentioned coming into that classroom and managing the small class, that sounds pretty easy. Being able to manage a larger classroom can be a headache for anyone, even the most patient of teachers, because aside from the multiple personalities that you have in front of you, and mind you, these are independent thinkers. We have a combination of those who have been dependent on their nannies for so long and their parents, and you have those who are just learning independence and are learning the importance of reciprocity with their peers and their siblings and their cousins, and you have this array in front of you. What do you do when it comes to something that seems out of control? Or what do you do when it seems it's a bit of a tall order to be able to manage that five days a week? You reflect on what's important for you. And I mentioned in my previous episode about using voice, so I won't go into any more detail about that, but when applying simple principles in the class. And I don't necessarily mean that there has to be a reward system for good behavior all the time, or that there has to be some sort of penalty that reminds that student that they've done something that's not right. But there has to be this natural chemistry that the students embrace. And the only way to do that is to find what works best for you. Now, it can come across as somewhat unnatural when you're, say, the teacher, and then you walk outside of the classroom, and then guess what? Right after class, the day is finished, you're going to go meet your friends, probably maybe go to a bar, and that teacher hat is off. What if you run into a parent at the bar of one of your students? Do you resume being a teacher? 
Do you completely just switch into that role or do you be yourself? Those teachers find that it's necessary to continue on with that role just for consistency purposes. And that's still very respectable. So is there a meter or should there be a bar that we can kind of visualize so that we can attain that certain level that we desire? Or should we just go about what our nature dictates to us so that we can eventually just be comfortable with both hats? And I like doing just the one more thing. There are so many things on a daily basis that I encounter interactions, incidents where it could have been handled differently. And I think about it afterwards, whether I'm involved or not, how perhaps one word or one method of de-escalating would have been best, but I am in a different country. My way is handling the boys at the boys' home back in California is not applicable in Hong Kong. I have to use a different way. And sometimes it may be silence. That way has to be determined by how the situation plays out. If I walk into, say, an incident occurring in a store where I don't understand it, it's spoken in Cantonese, I just see heated minds and words being exchanged and flaring nostrils, I can't jump in. But I will say this, there was one moment where, and it was at the height of the protest last year, when a minibus driver was just at his end with patience, and another driver came up to him, actually came inside of the bus, shouted at him for about 30 seconds. I stood up, went to the front, didn't say much, but I used a nodding gesture in my hands on both shoulders of both drivers to just calm them down. Now, did it help? Maybe they were already at the end of their argument and they were about to leave anyway, but could it have helped? I don't know. But in that moment, I felt that this is the right choice only because I have no idea what's being exchanged. I don't know the words. It could be riddled with foul words for all I know, but I do know that maybe something will help. Being a foreigner out here, there's, people might say, and associate it with, well, there's a degree of privilege, but the way I like to look at it is that you have this essence that perhaps people will recognize right away. There's either maybe a perception of, well, here's the entitled person, or here's a person who perhaps can exude this sensible essence, or perhaps calm things down, or maybe even be more conversational with the people working there, the waiters and such, and kind of in a way light up the room. Not saying that that's the magic that I work, but I do know it's difficult to get through those days, especially when environmental conditions are very stressful. Thanks for listening and keep the education alive. And always remember, there are people out there willing and actually strongly desiring to listen to your story no matter how insignificant you may think it is. Goodbye, Lord. Hello, family.